0: Hey, let me ask you, how do you evaluate your life? What is it that directs your life? Are you so heavenly-minded you're no earthly good, or are you more biblical than that? Are you so heavenly-minded you're of great earthly good? You see, those are the questions we're asking and answering here today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Chris Gordon. Hi there. Welcome to our program. We are back in Philippians chapter 1 today, looking at verses 21 through 30, and it's there that we get a better way to evaluate our lives. The Apostle Paul gives us some direction in this area. We are to be more heavenly minded in evaluating our lives and then directing our lives according to that heavenly mindedness. With more, here's Pastor Chris on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Life
1: is just about forestalling and trying to prevent death for as long as we can so that we will enjoy this. That's our mindset. That's what America has trained us to believe. That's what the culture has trained us to live for. Now this is where we are today. The Bible comes along and says that's a really foolish way to invest the Christian life. That's a way of living in a lot of bondage. You're not looking at life at all the way you should be looking at life. See, if this is the investment of life just to overcome your greatest fear, that is the most ineffective perspective for a Christian whose purpose is to, this is Paul's perspective, show forth the life of Jesus in us. Remember what Paul said. We always carry about in our body the death of Jesus. (laughs) What? So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Paul had a good theology of the body. You can't carry about in your body the death of your Savior to showcase it if life is just about beating death. You see, this is where perspective comes in. You're looking at everything wrongly, says Paul. I'm in prison. I fully expect I'm going to die. His head's going to get cut off. And he says in the middle of this, but I know this will turn out for my deliverance. (laughs) How do you live that way? really how do you live that way that in nothing hear hear me in nothing that happens to me will I be ashamed nothing how do you have that confidence how do you get there that with all boldness so as now as always Christ in whatever he's put me through will be magnified in my body whether by life or by death see Paul's got to the ultimate fear he gives a personal reflection on life and death. How did he think about life and how did he think about death? And that's where we we see in verse 21 where he makes this powerful statement, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the statement, of course, is vitally connected to everything he said in something like Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. This is the perspective that He's starting to push and having them think about. It's a helpful perspective for them to know how to look at things. Christianity has a good message that when you believe the gospel, you're purchased. You know, we say this right out of Heidelberg. I'm no longer my own. We sung about that in the the, the song. That you're purchased and that you're owned and that you now have a great purpose and that your entire life becomes and is intended to look like somebody else's and is owned by somebody else who is Jesus. This is what Paul said. That what our purpose is, whether I live or die, Christ will be magnified in my body That's the purpose. That's the goal, whether by life or by death. Then he says something remarkable. If I'm to live on in the flesh, if I'm to live on, you'll notice there um, in verse 22, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose? I can't tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Christ, uh, Paul is here picturing for us something about how magnificent the Christian life really is. Christ is really everything. It really is all about Jesus. And I am to live knowing that he has died for me, that he has released me from all my sins, that there is no more judgment for me, there is no more uh, condemnation, and that right now he sits on a throne, Lord over all, Lord supreme, reigning over all, and that in me now his life is being shown. So, if I've got life here, If he gives me life here, if he has a purpose here for me, it is for him, for his glory, for his advancement. And we'll come back, not just for him, we'll see in a minute. For his kingdom, to become the fragrance of him to the world. And whatever he chooses for me, and whatever he chooses for my loved one, will always be good and right to serve that appointed end. It has the goal, listen to what Paul says, in life and in death of ultimately gaining Jesus in full. So he's looking at his circumstance. Stay with me and you'll see this come together. He's looking at his circumstance. He knows he's going to die probably. He knows that, really, it doesn't look good for him being freed out of prison, out of Roman chains. It's completely in God's hands. He lives that way. But here's how his resolve is in prison. Here's what he's come to. He speaks somewhat hypothetically, doesn't he? If I had a choice to live or die in my current situation, I want you to know that would be a real struggle for me. Let this set in. Verse 23, I am hard pressed between the two. I am hard pressed on both sides. My mind is pressed from each reality. My coming death, listen to this, will be the ultimate gain of everything I've ever lived for and believed. I get everything in full of what I have come to receive in this life. I have the full realization in death of everything I've already believed and known in the gospel. The full expression of what the treasure is of my life. The ultimate gaining of what we are being trained to enjoy already. It's tough. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying this is bliss. I know it's hard sometimes to get up and come to church. I know it's hard to be a Christian. I'm not saying any of that. But you know what your greatest desire is, even if you don't always achieve that. It's the Lord. I've so learned that my coming death will be the ultimate gain of everything that I've already believed and been living for. The full realization of it. But if I had a choice, Christian doesn't have a choice. Your death is appointed. But if I did, here's the heart of the book. Here's the heart of the message today. It's not really even a dilemma. It would be far better To go to be with Jesus right now, for all of us. You know that? Be a lot better. Let's be done with this, right? Be a lot better than to see any more death and suffering. Be a lot better than to see all this pain. Be a lot better than to see the things I see every day. I'm sick of corruption. We've got a great king on a throne who has an eternal kingdom waiting for us. He's built that for us. Well, that's, that would be far better. (laughs) That would be far better. In other words, if I did have a choice, of course, the better one's death because it's the ultimate gaining of everything that I've hoped for in life. And the power of the passage is this. But if God chooses to keep me here, it's not for me. Whatever difficulties he puts me through, whatever persecutions, whatever struggles, whatever afflictions, here's the benefit there's going to be fruit from that labor. Which is an amazing privilege, number one, to glorify Him. But if I get to stay, and I would do that for this reason to remain in the flesh is more needful for the person sitting next to you. Understand that? That's what He's saying. To remain in the flesh would be the opportunity. To help my hurting brother and sister in the things that God puts me through that I might be a blessing to them. That's the mind of a servant. That's what the book's about. Because God's given us to be servants on the sacrifice and service, service of someone else's faith. If we could take away the fear of death that we all have And realize none of this is in our control and that our days and hours are totally appointed and that all your jogging and all your exercise is not going to add one hour to your life. That makes some of you really happy. You should take care of yourself. (laughs) That all your good works are sovereignly appointed by God. That the day and hour of your death is sovereignly appointed by God. It's not... Denying responsibility. You know that. Why do I always have to say that? If you could live understanding that. That this is appointed. That your life is appointed. That your death is appointed. And that the good works that God gave you to do are appointed. That's what Ephesians 2 says. Prepared beforehand. Before you existed. So that you would walk in them. And that you're not adding an inch, of your, a minute to your life by any of the worries you're doing. Imagine how much of our energies and direction and purpose of life would be different. Oh, it's a theology of sovereignty here that's driving this. We would start to truly live instead of holding tight to this life. That's what they say. You finally are ready to die, ready to, uh, to live when you're ready to die. Be a lot more, uh, less about us and then it would be more about what our purpose is and what God gave us to live for in this life. Now do you see the effect? What is the problem in the church? <laughs> Well, the problem in the church is they have a bunch of people who have been so discouraged by the hardships, have been beaten down, have faced so much difficulty, they've forgotten the purpose of their existence. And this is God's perspective of, uh, for us. We have Christ, and the minute you die, you gain him. But if he leaves us here, then it's to serve your hurting neighbor. It's to help them. It's to love them. You got a lot of needy people right now. And you got a witness to the world right now. You know, it was last night. I didn't want to go really. I wasn't excited about going. Weddings are tough to preach at. And then all of a sudden, he tells me there's a lot of unbelievers here. And I got to testify for 30 minutes to Jesus about Jesus. I didn't even set that up. He gives you all kinds of opportunities like that. So here's the pursuit. I'm on point two. It's going to be three minutes. Three minutes. And then point three will be one minute, so we're almost done. The pursuit. Only then, if this is true, which it's true, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You see it? So that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of your affairs. Paul actually uses the word for citizenship here. He makes an interesting play. Let your conduct as a citizen, citizen of heaven, be worthy of the gospel. Our home is in heaven. Our life is there. It's where we're headed. Let your conduct be worthy of that in this age. You know, a lot of people suffer. Let me, let me just... Read this for a second from Peter. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer. This is the other side of it. How do a lot of Christians suffer in this present age? Let none of you suffer as a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let them not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. A lot of people suffer in this world. Why? Because they're obnoxious meddlers. They're gossips. Social media is a meddler's business right now. Did you know that? It's pulling all kinds of people off path. Meddling and fighting over the affairs of this world and stupidity. It's just stupid what people are fighting about. Fighting because a lot of people have become idiots. Yeah, you can fight that way, and you can become an obnoxious person, and you look nothing like a conduct that's worthy of the gospel that I just described. Because you've looked at all these things that are happening as if you're in control to change them. <laughs> what have we just said? They're appointed. Obnoxious. If our citizenship is in heaven, then we're right now with the very people who are going there with us. Does our conduct look worthy of a Savior who suffered and died to people who oppressed him all the way to death? What Paul is saying is look at a church in fierce struggle in the world. The best way you can show your conduct to be worthy is to this stand fast in one spirit with one mind. Yeah, you're a community of faith striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're all off mission, priorities. If we're going to make effect in the world, you have to be really united. You have to be united in your marriage and you have to be united in the church. And he's saying to give yourself to contend with your brothers and sisters for the faith of the gospel. And listen, I know what's driving you right now is fear from your adversaries. Stop it. God's sovereign over them. That's what's driving all this right now. It's fear. He says that here. Stop. Your God's in control. (laughs) Your God owns you. And I close with this last thought. God has a gift for you. A packaged gift. Two of them. In verse 29. A present. For it has been granted. You know what that word is? Freely given. Here's a gracious gift God's giving you. say that about justification. You're freely justified by grace through faith. Let me give you some other gifts for your life. It has been freely granted to you first that what you believe. Your faith in Christ, your your faith was a sovereign choice by God that he graciously gave you in this life. You didn't earn it. You didn't in your own power accept it. It was graciously, freely given to you as God's loving gift. Your faith can't be taken. And you're headed for glory. And there's one other gift. There's one other gift. Not only is it faith, but you are also graciously given the opportunity To suffer in this age for his name's sake. Let that set in. Sovereignly appointed. Why? So that you might be a blessing on the furtherance of your neighbor's faith and to love them and to help them. If you're able to look at life that way, you're gonna appreciate your purpose, you're gonna have real reasons to get up, (laughs) and you're gonna understand that the hardships and sufferings are sovereignly appointed for. A big end that you've been just told what it is. So, if like Paul, God chooses to keep you here, you've got a sovereign appointment. <laughs> you've got a sovereign appointment by God given to you for the hurting person next to you. And you may suffer and you may have hardships. And you may, like the apostles, be beaten for the name, and then you get to rejoice because you were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. That's what Acts said. And you get to show in your life, whether by life or by death, you belong to Jesus. So I close with this. How about a psalm? Oh God, from my youth you've taught me And I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. You want to keep me around till I'm old and gray-headed? And all my hardship and affliction, don't forsake me. For what end, O Lord? Until I proclaim your might unto another generation, your power to all those to come. What a witness you older folks have to a lot of hurting young people right now. What a witness. May this perspective guide you and give you great purpose that the life Christ has graciously given you to have faith and to suffer for his namesake and that he has counted you worthy for such a cause deserves our utmost praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your help through this text. It seems so far off in time, in real time, in actual living from us. And we confess we need your help. For really at the root of all of this is a lot of selfishness in our lives. We ask, O Lord, that we would become more Christ-like. Even if it's a small beginning in this new holiness that we, Lord, might be able to understand our purpose more in these trying times and that you would help us, Lord, to have the example and humility of Jesus Christ who went all the way to death for us and that we might begin to look like him who bought us and purchased us with his precious blood that we might be conformed into his image. Thank you for the truth today in helping us. Give us cheerful hearts. For you've lifted up our hearts in great purpose. And may we glorify you in whatever you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Chris Gordon. Just enough time to leave you with our contact information. We'd love to hear from you. It's always a delight knowing you're being blessed by this radio program. Reach out to us at our website, agradio.org. Questions at agradio.org if you wish to email us any questions you might have or praise reports, comments about the program, or give us a call, 888-504-8805. By the way, when you visit our website, agradio.org, tons of resource material for you to tap into, as well as links to our other platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, again, all at agradio.org. And that phone number, once again, is 888-504-8805. Looking to write to us? If you're old school, the address for your envelope is Abounding Grace Radio, P.O. Box 732, Linden, Washington. The zip code is 98264. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Abounding Grace is brought to you on this radio station by Abounding Grace Radio Ministries.
1: Hi, this is Chris Gordon, pastor of the Escondido United Reformed Church. I'd like to invite you to our Sunday worship services at 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. on Sunday. We have two worship services, 9.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. We preach Christ and Him crucified with the goal that you would live in the joy of this comfort in the knowledge of the forgiveness of all of your sins. 1864 North Broadway is the address here in Escondido. We'd love to see you this Sunday.